Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Zeitcast Season 3 Barrel Proof. I'm Jonathan Martin, and so happy that you're here. You know, I really wrestled with this season. Do I want to include sermons, anything like sermons proper? And ultimately, I came to the conclusion, yeah, absolutely, because I think really what I love about what we're doing right now and I think is a lot of fun is it's all about integration. We're living at the intersections. We're bringing it all together. So in the spirit of bringing it all together, what's in your glass? I can tell you while I am recording this intro right now, I have a little bit of Smooth Ambler Old Scout, a delicious, inexpensive bourbon out of West Virginia. And um, I just wanted to share a little talk I did a few days ago just for the interwebs. Well, I say that. I did it for our community at the table, uh, but we put it on the interwebs. And um, it's one of those talks, I really do believe in the magic and mystery of the lectionary. You know, uh, people within my tradition, my Christian tradition, um, have this calendar that gives us sacred text. And one of the things I, I love about it is I don't get to pick the text. Uh, the texts are chosen for me and tend to lead me places that I wouldn't otherwise choose to go. So I find that speaking of intersections, at the intersections of these texts, um, there are some fireworks that happen sometimes, um, at least inside of me. That was the case this past week as two texts that, you know, there was just a sense of a spark and I uh, wasn't quite sure, but it felt like there was something there, something needed to be explored that didn't quite come into being until I actually sat down and started talking. That's the way these things uh, tend to happen for me. So I wanted to share this with you because I feel like so many of us, uh, I think probably most of the folks who are listening now, are on some kind of a journey where, uh, in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, there's a lot of plucking up that's happening. There's a lot of pulling down. Uh, there is uh, some destruction that's happening. There's some things that are being overthrown. But there's also some building and planting. There's also some things that are green and hopeful and beautiful. And I know it's a challenge to figure out how to navigate all of that. How do we know what needs to be plucked up? How do we know what needs to be pulled down? How do we know what we need to tear out versus where we need to plant and build something new? And I feel like, especially in a time where um, there are a lot of great questions that are being asked and a lot of things are being reviewed and reconsidered in ways that are really important, reevaluated, really. Uh, but at the same time, there also can seem to be this mob religion where people are kind of swept up with cynicism and suspicion seems to be its own religion. Yeah, I think that these are really tricky things kind of on a razor's edge to know how to navigate. So this is my own attempt to try to uh, work some of that out, out loud. Hope it's some kind of an encouragement to you. Do want to just remind you that almost everything we're doing now, in addition to audio form, is on YouTube. So make sure to look for the Zeitcast with Jonathan Martin on YouTube. Um, also, um, always want to encourage you to like, to review, to subscribe. All of that helps. Certainly to those of you who are supporting us on Patreon, thank you, thank you, thank you. And there's going to be a lot that's happening in the Patreon community in the days ahead. So 
Thank you for hanging around. Hope you enjoy today's episode of the Zeitcast. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Zach. Ah, beautifully done, my friend. Thank you so much. So good to see you. Good to see you. Well, um, as we jump in um, this morning, I really am. I just, uh, I just never take for granted these days um, the opportunity to, to gather in any form. I'm so happy to see all of y'all here. Um, I want to. I'm going to riff a little bit. Um, I never know exactly where I'm landing, it would seem. Um, but one of the things I love about preaching the lectionary, one of the reasons I believe in that, you, some of you heard me say before, it will lead you places you would not choose to go. And as I was reading the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah, which we haven't done this far today, and then the gospel reading, um, I just sat with that for the last few days and felt like there was something that I needed to see, but wasn't quite sure what it was, and trying to sort of let some of that come into focus. Um, I don't think much of any of this, if any of this, are things I've talked about before that I can remember, um, but it feels like there's there's something happening here. So I'll just, um, if you'll indulge me, um, let's go on just a bit of a journey here. I do want to go to, so the Old Testament reading, which again, we didn't do formally liturgically, but I do want to read to you, is a short passage from Jeremiah 1. Uh, verses 4 through 10. And the whole text is beautiful. But just for our purposes this morning, uh, this is, uh, of course, very much this is the calling of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Uh, Do not say I'm only a boy, for you shall go to uh, to uh, all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Beautiful stuff. But we can skip on to the last couple of verses, and I want you just to I want you just to hear this part, where Jeremiah says again that's chapter Jeremiah chapter one, and this is looking at verses nine and ten. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, "Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations." And over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, I think this is fascinating. So, God's charge to Jeremiah is I have appointed you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up, pluck up, to pull down, destroy and overthrow then to build and to plant. So I want to start this morning with this kind of simple premise. Many of us, if not all of us, I kind of feel like at this point, if you're not going through, if you've not been going through some kind of a, um, a phase or a season where there's been a lot of uprooting, where there's been a lot of plucking up and pulling down, I don't know if I would even begin to know how to talk to you. <laughs> Because I think that's where the world is. Um, I think that's where we are as a community. I certainly think that's where we are as individuals. Everybody is going through some kind of radical process. of It's happening in the world. Um, this is one of those times where 
you know, the kind of upheaval that Isaiah talks about in terms of the kind of moment where the mountains are made low and the valleys are exalted. It's that that kind of disruption where it feels like the ground beneath our very feet is actually shifting before us. So I don't know how you wouldn't be going through. And I know, you know, we might banter around words like deconstruction, whatever phrase you want to use for it. Um, everybody's being deconstructed. And whether even if you're not intentionally deconstructing your faith. Uh, sometimes I think God is deconstructing us. I think we're the ones who are being deconstructed and God's the one who's doing the deconstructing. But everything that we thought we've known about systems, about institutions, structures and establishments that have brought comfort to us, um, none of that is stable or, or secure in any way. Um, things that perhaps we thought we knew to be safe and true about ourselves are not true the way that we thought that they were. Not, right? Is, is that fair to say? Um, relationships that we thought that we secure, uh, were secure and never going to move or change have moved and changed and continue to. Um, uh, <laughs> and if you had a retirement account or savings or something, I mean, I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, I feel like in every direction, everybody is seeing the same thing in terms of like, oh, yeah, there really is no security. There really is no safety. It's a time of tremendous upheaval. And I think we're seeing that in the world. We're seeing that in ourselves. It's a spiritual reality. It's a psychological reality. It's reality, reality. Like there is no way, there is no direction in which any of this is not kind of a description of the moment that we're in. But like Jeremiah's description, plucking up, pulling down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant. And this is, so I think the first thing I want to say about this is I'm so fascinated that in the call of Jeremiah, that most of what he's called to do is framed as negative, right? I mean, we've got, what is that, six things? I'm not very good with math. Plucking up, pulling down, destroy, overthrow, build into plant. I think it's fascinating that out of those six little words that four of them, um, for lack of a better way to categorize them, we would say would be negative. The plucking up, the pulling down, destroying, overthrown, uh, and yet then to build into plant. So to be clear, Part of this prophetic calling, in fact, I do think it's the essence of the prophetic call, it is, is a constructive task. It is a creative task. But first, it is a call to pluck up, pull down, destroy, and overthrow. In other words, it seems like most of the prophetic work to which Jeremiah is called is there's going to have to be a whole lot of clearing space before there's going to be room for anything new. Uh, there's going to be a lot more plucking up and pulling down and destroying and overthrowing before you're going to get to the building and to the planting. And I want to say that um, by way of encouragement, because I think if you're living that right now, where a lot of things in you are being plucked up and pulled down, destroyed and overthrown, or maybe if you feel like you're intentionally or unintentionally, a bit of an agent for th those things, <laughs> that precisely because you ask certain kinds of questions and uh, don't go along easily with certain assumptions right now, uh, maybe other people will treat you like you're the one who's plucking up and uh, pulling down and destroying and overthrowing and may, may say to you, well, that just seems awfully negative. Why do you have to always be so negative? Well, the fact of the matter is, there is a real way in which this the prophetic work, and I'm not I don't want to be abstract here at all. Um, the prophetic work in scripture is always about 
God bring this new word that brings life. It is ultimately constructive and creative. But the way in which new life comes, the way in which creative life comes, is inevitably some stuff about the world as we've known it is going to have to kind of be blown apart first. Um, Some of the old assumptions, old structures, old systems first, there is a kind of judgment that happens. So um, I want to say that by way of encouragement that some of what people might say to you, oh, I don't think it's being negative. Well, no, you know. This is just kind of what's happening. Uh, In order to get to something new, in order to get to something green and small and beautiful that's going to be hopeful and have a future, well, we don't actually get there without plucking up and pulling down, destroying and overthrowing. It's how you get to the building and planting. So some of this, I just think... um, all of that is not just like negativity. It's necessary to clear out space to get to that which is new and beautiful. And I think for a lot of us, that's just that's the world as we know it right now. Space is being cleared, and it's long, tedious, soul grinding kind of work. But at the same time, I want to allow that text to dance with the one that Zach read for us, our gospel check from, uh, text from Luke chapter 4. I really don't know what I'm doing this morning, and that makes me happy. I feel like I, this is where I need to live. But Luke 4, beginning with verse 21, keep all that on the shelf for just a second. So as we read about that prophetic work that involves tearing down, pulling up, all this uprooting and destruction <laughs> in order to get to something that's new and creative and good and beautiful. Then we get to this text where, well, let's just look at it again briefly, can we? So at verse 21, uh, everybody's speaking well at Jesus. They're amazed at the gracious words that's coming out of his mouth. Everybody's impressed. But then they say, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is there were many. And this is this is hardcore. Uh, you can get us understand here why people can get upset at Jesus. Jesus tells them people who feel like they have lived very close to these texts and the community that shaped these texts. You know, these are their texts. The truth is there were many widows in Israel during the time of Elijah that when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, they were all filled with rage. All in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. I am fascinated by this text this morning. Jesus is going about, and I mean, we've just got the great proclamation wherein the words of prophet Isaiah being fulfilled in Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me uh, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, uh, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, all of that. But immediately there is resistance. And the resistance is they know Jesus. Jesus is from their own hometown. Jesus is familiar to them. They can't conceive that God could raise up someone from Nazareth. This makes no sense to them. There's just no, um, they're overly familiar 
with Jesus's own family. And because they're not able to honor Jesus, that's the text, he, that's a, a word he quotes from the Old Testament. Uh, a prophet is without honor in his own country. Because they're not able to honor Jesus, the consequence of that is that while God is doing this tremendous healing work through Jesus, they're not able to receive from it. And the incendiary thing that Jesus says is, well, hey, you know, um, back in the time of Elijah, the famine was everywhere. But Elijah wasn't able to help anybody but this one widow. Hey, there were a lot of people that had leprosy. The only one who was able to receive healing was Naaman. And so the, you know, what Jesus is saying, not uh, unsubtly here, I mean, this is, this is pretty direct. Jesus, you know, a lot of people had access theoretically, to healing. A lot of people could have experienced these miracles. A lot of people could have become whole. But only a handful of people did because they weren't able to honor the prophet. They weren't able to receive. They had different reasons to not be able to receive God's messenger uh, during the moment that they were in. I feel like whenever I talk about any of these texts now, whenever I read any of these texts now, where you have some of Jesus's own Jewish people, his like his, the folks from his own community rejecting him. I feel like there are all sorts of, uh, and I think some of that's appropriate. There's a lot more sensitivity about how to communicate those texts and what's happening in them, because I think we're at a moment now where we're much more um, empathetic, much more aware of anti-Semitism. Uh, now, to be clear, in the history of the church, capital C, like 2,000 years, um, in terms of history of interpretation, there are reasons to be really sensitive about anti-Semitism. We certainly have had, whether you think about uh, Luther, um, we can think about all kinds of, like uh, many moments in the church's history where unfortunately um, the story has been told, well, the Jewish people rejected Jesus and therefore it must be their fault. The Jews crucified Jesus. Now, I would want to be clear to say I don't think any of this makes sense at all from the texts themselves because, you know, these are just such Jewish texts. All of the early Christians um, very much conceived of themselves as Jewish people. They very much understood themselves to be followers of the Jewish Messiah. Uh, they didn't understand themselves to be part of starting a new religion. They saw themselves to be part of a reform movement within Judaism that was honoring Jesus as Messiah. So in these early gospels, which keep in mind, none of this is written in a time when Christians are in power. This is long before Constantine uh, and the Roman Empire uh, like commandeers Christianity and turns it into, into uh, the religion of the empire, turns into something oppressive. None of that is happening. The, these are texts that are written by oppressed people to oppressed people for oppressed people. And it would never cross anybody's minds that how any of these any of those texts would be used ever would be in a way that would discriminate against Jewish people in some form. But what I do think happens, and I want to see if I can test this hypothesis with y'all because I don't think I've talked about this elsewhere. Here's what I feel like we see consistently in the Gospels, whether it's in a text like this one, where right at the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus, when he first starts to do this prophetic work, that immediately there's resistance. I mean, <laughs> he has this great moment in the temple right after his baptism, where for the first time Jesus is publicly acknowledged, and the very next thing that happens is that people are ready to push him off of a cliff. I mean, that's actually the first thing that happens, <laughs> is that people are so riled and so angry, they want to kill him 
right at the start. And we see all throughout the ministry of Jesus, right? We see the kind of resistance that comes. Oftentimes it does come from the religious community. Oftentimes it does come from people uh, who would claim to have read the same scrolls. But I think what happens within these texts is there was never, again, as all early Christians understood themselves as being Jews, it was never a critique of Judaism. What I think the critique that is there that's that I think we really need to hear, and I don't know if this feels like a broad brush or not, but for me this feels right, there's always a critique of the mob. Like, the Gospels consistently are so compassionate when they tell us the story of any individual. But whenever you get a bunch of individuals together into a crowd, and we get certain kinds of crowd dynamics happening, we see over and over again how quickly individuals turn into a mob so that suddenly um, people that are completely rational that might be otherwise sane are saying, crucify him, crucify him. We see the same thing that we see in the world right now, that people who one-on-one, when you talk to them, oh, this is somebody with a soul. This is somebody with a story. This is somebody that needs to be communicated to with tenderness and empathy and respect. Put them together with a big, massive group of people, and geez, <laughs> people in mass, can we say it like that, are stupid. People in mass are stupid, fearful, ridiculous. They scapegoat. They blame. They shame. Um, scary things hap- happen when people get loose enough in a crowd. I mean, you've felt it, haven't you? You've been there, haven't you? In some of these crowds, have you seen it on TV, the rallies or like whatever? The way that energy that gets unleashed where people have like, we've got our, uh, our us and that tells us who they are. And man, the energy, the energy of that is so dangerous and scary. And I think we see that at every turn within the gospels, like this, the, the critique of, of the mob, um, I, I do think it's largely true. I hope this is the sound. I don't mean this like in some um, elitist kind of way, but let's just tell the truth. Like how often is it in any category? Like I cannot think of any category in which this is not true. In, in what category is whatever the thing is that's most popular ever going to be the thing that's most good? I mean, has that ever happened? Is it ever been true that the best books are going to be the most popular books? Um, that the best music is going to be the most popular music, that the best films are going to be the most popular films. There are exceptions, of course. Every once in a while, there'll be some, uh, you know, something that's some kind of art that's really beautiful. You know, I'm a big U2 fan, so I'm not opposed to a stadium rock gig. Um, sometimes popular culture and sensibility, something good can actually uh, kind of get a hearing in broader culture, and that's great when it happens. But most of the time, People usually will choose dumber things. It's just how it goes. People, again, when you get enough of them together, that crowd kind of herd mentality tends to go towards this scapegoating, us and them, good guys and bad guys. Uh, We need outsiders so that we know who we can feel like we're the insiders, that kind of thing. It's just the nature of the mob. It's the nature of the crowd. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. So I feel like I'm saying a lot of things. Um, what I want to do, though, is I just I'm I'm feeling this tension. And I think it's important that we kind of chart this tension that on the one hand, we see 
that part of the prophetic task, part of what's appropriate for this moment, part of what we need, we need to embrace the plucking up and the destruction. That sounds weird to say, embrace the destruction. But yeah, I think so. We need to embrace pluck up, the plucking up, the destruction, the pulling up, the tearing down, because that's what God's work of clearing space looks like. We need to embrace that as a huge part of what God... Good morning, Shane. Shane and uh, pa- Pastor Mike, I'm so happy to see you all this morning. Um, we need to embrace that kind of prophetic work that tears down, and we need not be afraid of it. We need to be able to recognize the Spirit actually is the one who brings a lot of this destabilization. But, 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 I think this is so important. Surely there is a difference between what Jeremiah talks about in terms of the kind of plucking up and pulling up and destroying and tearing down that creates space for something new and green to be able to grow, that creates space for something to be planted, that creates space for the construction of a, of a new and beautiful community. Surely there's something different between that and what we read about in Luke chapter 4. These are not people who are embracing the prophetic task of pulling up and plucking up and clearing space for the new thing that God is doing. What we see is cynicism. What we see is an inability to imagine that God is doing something new in the world. What we see is a lot of assumptions about who God can use and who God will not use. What we see is the energy of rage and accusation. What we see is an inability to be able to look in the mirror, which is exactly what Jesus is trying to get them to do. Don't you understand that in our own history, God has been willing moment after moment to bring healing and life to so many people. But oftentimes, people were not able to receive that healing because they weren't because um, the form through which the healing came, the person that God sent, the method that God used seemed to be beneath them in some way. So they were then they were cut out. I think there has to be a distinction that's drawn between the kind of plucking up and pulling down that kind of deconstruction, if you will, that kind of undoing that creates space for something new and the kind of cynicism that actually doesn't create space for something new at all. Actually, it completely precludes the possibility of any new life happening. It actually shuts down the potential of anything being planted. It actually shuts down the possibility of a prophetic word, uh, that other kind of word, from being heard at all. Actually, ultimately, you know what it shuts down? It shuts down the possibility of healing. That's what ends up happening, is that that sort of mob mentality, that kind of sort of mass cynicism when it seeps into you, simply kind of inoculates us from being able to hear from people, from being able to receive from sources that otherwise would be channels of blessing and healing and hope for us. We won't even know the difference because whenever we hear 
that God is speaking through someone new around us, whenever we hear, ah, he's just from our own hometown. I don't know how far I want to go into this or not. Um, so, well, I'll just, I'll just say it the way I feel it. How's that? I'll say it the way I would, uh, I would say it to friends if they were here. Um, I really don't want to do the thing. Um, I don't want to do the kind of very fine people on both sides kind of thing. But I'm telling you, I have never been more overwhelmed and perplexed <laughs> than I am right now at this whole dynamic. And I think especially being at a point where I feel like, okay, I need to not have my head in the sand and, and I'm feeling pushed and called to re-engage in different ways where I don't want to be a contrarian, but I just find myself shaking my head in so many different directions. Tiffany just said in the comments, the mom mentality seeks to exclude the prophetic way creates more space to include. I think that's so important because I see how uh, that kind of mob mentality from any direction, regardless of the ideology, um, whether it comes from fundamentalism, whether it comes from people who would proclaim themselves to be very inclusive people, um, when that thing is present, when there is that kind of shaming, scapegoating, mob, mob mentality thing that happens, oh, the energy of it is precisely the same. That energy of accusation, it, it wears... It wears me out. Um, doesn't teach people to do the difficult soul work of plucking up and pulling down to create space for something new. It simply creates cynicism and being closed off and having a lot of predetermined expectations about who God will and will not use. And um, and I'm and it's and it's very uncomfortable to me. It's so uncomfortable to me. I just feel like we've come way too far in the story of what God has done in the world and continues to do in the world. Uh, to And I, I would say this in any given direction, um, whether it be the silliness of people saying, uh, well, God can't use women in ministry. Or like, well, of course, all of us would, would laugh at that, right, at how, at how ridiculous that is. But, you know, I think even now, um, the very moment that I make an assumption that someone that comes from uh, a world that I'm not maybe feel as included in now to say that, that God can't use them, I feel like is the very moment when inevitably I'm going to see God working through exactly the kind of person that I've decided, oh, yeah, well, God doesn't really use that. I, I just feel like it's it's kind of dangerous to start making decisions about um, through whom wholeness can or cannot come. Don't think that's a really uh, that's a healthy place to live, and I don't even want to say that like um, with a sense of threat. Um, I would, in fact, <laughs> you know what that makes me think of when I was eight years old, uh, and I was at that phase in my life where um, I felt like I needed to witness to everybody, I needed to share my Christian faith with everybody, and I was concerned because I took things hyper literally that if I didn't then there was going to be blood on my own hands. Now, this is how I thought, eight years old. And I was thinking, I think that's from, that phrase is from Ezekiel about, you know, if, like if, if you don't prophesy the notion of the blood of the people being on your own hands. And I would think that way. So <laughs> my grandmother, uh, I would go to her house every, uh, and spend the summer with her. And she was a wonderful grandma, you know. So, like, we would watch The Price is Right every day, and she would make uh, fried cornbread, and she would uh, make tang, some of y'all, 
might may know about Tang. Y'all know about Tang? Uh, we'd play Scrabble, all of those kinds. It's wonderful, right? But I remember like being there in the summer, again, roughly, I think, when I was eight, and the cable was out, and the cable TV repairman came to... Uh, I love that I think that 100% is for Tang. <laughs> that makes me really happy. <laughs> we have some Tang fans in the house today. Um, so the, the repairman comes, and I remember being overcome with this feeling of like, I have to witness this man. And this is comedic on so many levels. I mean, part of which, like, I was such a church boy as a pastor's son, probably I felt like I didn't know anybody who wasn't part of the church. You know, so the cable repairman would be like, oh, here's someone who doesn't necessarily go to church. And so I remember he's there and he's like fiddling with the cable box. And I'm thinking like, oh, it's having this burning like sensation of like, I've got to tell him about Jesus. What if he's what if he's not ready? What if he drives away today and were to have some kind of an accident? And he has not met Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. I need to talk to this man. So the whole time that he's there, I'm trying to muster up the courage to be able to ask him, uh, hey, hey, mister, what do you know about Jesus? And I'm trying to like get, but I was eight years old. And this is a, 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 a grown-ass adult, I mean, who's in like in his 30s. And so, uh, the you know, the, the moment passes and I remember him, him packing up his tools and my heart's raising. I'm like, this is my last chance. What if he doesn't even make it home and it'll be my fault, like, et cetera. And so finally he drives off. And a few minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch and I just started squalling. Like, I'm actually like just, just a, a wreck, just in tears. And my grandmother comes in like very concerned, like, Jonathan, what's wrong? And I tell her like, oh, it's just, I think God really wanted me to share my faith with the, with the cable repairman. And I didn't say anything. And I'm all like, I think his blood is going to be on my hands. <laughs> That's for sure. His, his, the, the blood of this man will be on my hands at the end of time. And obviously, he's more likely to now uh, not make it home because I haven't shared my faith with him. Like, this is the way I thought at this time. And I remember my grandmother. This is so the way my grandmother would handle a thing. You know, this sweet woman who was so godly and, and powerful and all that. And she's like, you know, you know Jonathan, I just don't. I just don't think that's how that's how God works at all. And this is so like something she'd say. She said, I, you know, the way I see it is whenever I get a chance to to share my faith, then it's a blessing for me. I, I, I like I, I am blessed whenever I get to share my faith with someone. And when I don't do it, then I, the way I, I see it, I feel like I've kind of missed a blessing. I just like I've missed a blessing. And, and, you know, I don't want to miss a blessing. Like, if I have an opportunity to share it, I mean, it's good. It, it's, it strengthens me to share this, this, the good story of what God's done in my life. But, you know, that's all it is. Like, you, you, you kind of miss a blessing. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and <laughs> David said, and you didn't even offer him tang. You're right. That actually, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, y'all, I, I will remind you, that story is actually about inhospitality to strangers. So, like, this was really, I should have at least offered the man some tang, actually. But I'm saying all that, you know, because, like, I, I don't want all this to feel, like, so heavy. Uh, Everything now can feel, like, too heavy. But, you know, I think you really can miss a blessing. And it makes me sad that I feel like so many people miss so many rich blessings, God has sent, God has always kind of 
scrambling things and sending people that we wouldn't expect with words that we wouldn't, couldn't have expected. And there are all these channels of hope and healing that are made available to us. And I'm just afraid a lot of us end up missing a blessing because when, frankly, you're reactive all the time and it becomes like, man, I, and I do, get, I just get so worn out with with all of it. God can't use this kind of person. God can't use that kind of person. All the, you know, that little phrase that people say that the devil's in the details. Friends, I'm here to tell you the devil is in the overgeneralizations. I'm so tired of them. I'm so tired of them. And I have to get this out of my system. I hate progressive overgeneralizations every bit as much, maybe now because I feel immersed in them more than sort of conservative-ish overgeneralizations. Like people just make broadsides about whole groups of people and it is the energy of the mob it is it is not geared towards wholeness it is not geared towards healing uh man some of the stuff i feel like even people get they're like applauded when they do that and it's like well i appreciate your courage in sharing things that i hope you also have the courage to share with a therapist because none of this is going to help people get whole. None of this is going to help people move towards life in some way. Actually, it's just, um, if we're not careful, that it just becomes an exercise in um, indoctrinating people in suspicion and making them more distrustful and more like, uh, look, um, I, I understand that we need, I, I'm making more disclaimers than I need to. I started with the premise that for a lot of people who might not have people around you saying, oh, you're just negative all the time. No, like, hey, look, the business of what God's doing in this moment is we need plucking up and pulling up by the roots and tearing down. And that's not negativity. Like legitimately, the spirit is in the disruption that's happening in all these systems and institutions like it is what we need in this moment. But I just think there's something different about the kind of plucking up and pulling down that creates room for something new to grow. And the kind of thing that we read about in Luke 4, which is actually people who are unintentionally um, cutting off every resource that could possibly push them towards growth. Because see, that's the thing, right? Is that when it's just wholesale cynicism, when it's just broadside generalizations about people, like whatever, when we're caught up kind of in the mob mentality, really, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here, we become incapable of any self-reflection. Jesus says as a Jewish people to his own folks, hey, you know, um, God would have loved to have done good things for other people besides Elijah. Uh, God would have cared, uh, cared about other lepers, not just Naaman. Um, but the whole point here is that you weren't open. You weren't open. We weren't open. And the challenge there is to look at ourselves. So I don't know. I just don't want y'all to be kept from getting a blessing. That's all I'm saying. I want you to get, I want you to be open to any and all kinds of blessings. I want you to be open to any and all kinds of surprises of who God is and how God is making God's self known in the world. Um, I don't want, I feel like I'm babbling now. I promise I'm done. I just don't want to be cut off. And I, and I look, and I'm saying all of this, I, I don't know if I ever talked about anything that's not preaching to myself on some level. I, I think a lot of this for me comes out of seeing it in myself that 
um, the lines become very blurry between, well, what is that kind of plucking up and pulling down that creates space for something new? And really get into a place to where it's just kind of like, uh, F it, people are dumb. Uh, like, I I don't, like, nobody has anything to say to me, uh, anything that could be hopeful, anything that actually could connect me to something life-giving, um, finding a way to somehow keep that at bay. I, I, I just think that's a, that can be like a really fine line, both to embrace the upheaval that we need and no, no, yes, you do have permission to, to, you know, to change the channel. Uh, from voices that have not been helpful for you and find ones that are, but also not to become too secure, not to become too, not to think that we know, (laughs) not be presumptuous in thinking that we know exactly who God is using and what God's doing or what God's not doing and who's in and who's out, Uh, not just creating new systems and versions of that over and over again. I think y'all know what I'm saying. I don't want to bury this in the ground. I do want to pray for just a moment, and then I'm going to turn it over to Julie, uh, who's going to lead us in the liturgy. Uh, so, uh, let, but let's just take a moment first to to pray, if you would join me. So, God, thank you for. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it's hard sometimes for us to remember or to even see that this is a time uh, in which there really is a lot of good and interesting things that are happening. So thank you that we're in a time where there's a lot of plucking up of things that need to be plucked up and pulling down of things that need to be pulled down. And thank you that we're in a time where space is being cleared in the world and in ourselves. We need that. And we want to be open to that. We want to be open to all the ways that you are always um, clearing out room for new life uh, we also um, want to be people who are who choose openness. We also want to be people who choose to be tender. Um, we also don't want to be. Uh, we just well, we don't want to be presumptuous. So I just pray, and not even knowing exactly what this means, but that somehow today you would open us up again, um, so that we're not just kind of sucked into the energy of the mob. And that we're not sucked into the energy of blame, but that instead we are open to the ways in which you are always raising up uh, people around us and new sources, really new rivers uh, that bring healing, that do bring life, that do bring goodness. And we don't want to be cut off from the source of these blessings. So help us uh, to be open. Help us to be intuitive. Help us to be wise. Uh, Maybe in short, God, we would just ask that you would teach us how to listen deeply and to listen well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.